ask you a question. Have you ever been to a, uh, a wedding or a birthday party and you were there and you started to wonder if maybe the only reason you got invited was for the gift that you would bring? I was at a, I was at a party recently and uh, the guy greeted me at the, at the door. I handed him my gift. <laughs> And I didn't talk to him for the rest of the evening. Actually, that's not true. He did say goodbye. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't even think it's his birthday. Is it? Is it? Joe, are you in here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he is still accepting gifts, I hear. <laughs> Last week, we talked a little bit about how sometimes we're so concerned with protecting the good gifts that God has given us that will we'll fail to, to be involved in the mission that God calls us to, to be doing. This morning, I want to have another reality check. And I want, to ask, I want us to ask ourselves, do I really love God for who he is or do I just love the things he gives me? the things he does for me. Am I in love with him or am I in love with the stuff that he has for me? And that's one of the dangers for Christians today. And a lot of popular Christian music these days will, will say that it's about loving God. But if you look carefully at the lyrics, you realize that the whole song is about what God can give me, how much he can give me. It's all me-oriented And we all know, deep down inside, that's not the way that real love works. Because when you really love someone, you're not about you, you're about them. You think about them. You dream about them. You study them. You stare at that picture of them. I remember as a nerdy junior high kid, there was a girl that I I liked, and, and I drew a picture of her. Because I wanted, to, I wanted to see her. I wanted to think about her. I wanted to learn everything there was to know about her. But when it, came, when it comes to the way that so many people love these days, so very often their love is about what that other person can do for me. I think that's one of the main reasons so many marriages fall apart these days. Because they fall out of love with that person because that person is no longer meeting the expectations or giving me what I want. Have you ever asked yourself, if you truly love God, if your love was about who he is or if it was just about what he can do for you? As we take another look at the life of Abraham this morning, we're going to see a heart that truly loves God. And as we examine that love and, and what it was that, def- that, 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 that uh, reveals that true love, I want us to look inwardly at our own hearts and ask ourselves, do I really love him? Do I really love him? So you have your Bibles or maybe on your phones, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, we're we're going to kind of look at the whole passage today, but I'll just read to you the first 12 verses or so. Would you stand with me as we read from God's good word? It says this in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. 
and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offerings and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Abraham's love for God. Put to the test in Genesis 22. Remember that God had made a promise to Abraham. He told him that he was going to have offspring as numerous as the stars in the night sky. And Abraham believed. And it was, we're told, counted to him as righteousness. But after some time, and no baby Abraham's running around, Sarah suggested, you know, um, I'm not getting any younger Maybe you should try helping God out a little bit here because it seems like he's having a tough time getting started making his promise come true. Why don't you spend some time, some quality time with my servant girl? And that's exactly what he does. He wanted to make the promise come true so desperately that he took matters into his own hands and a boy named Ishmael is born. And sadly, it's a decision that it brought jealousy, it brought bitterness, it brought pain. And yet God comes through on his promises, doesn't he? Fourteen years later, Isaac was born to Sarah. She was now 90 years old. Talk about a miracle baby. This whole thing was crazy. In fact, we noted a little while back, it was laughable. God had been good. What an incredible gift that had been given. And what an incredible time 
in Abraham's life. He was a hundred years old, we're told. And once again, God had proved his love and faithfulness to this man. But now the time had come for Abraham to prove his love and devotion to God. It was time for God to ask, do you love me more than anything else? More than this incredible gift that I have given you? Let's take a look at the evidence for Abraham's love for God. Five things this morning. Abraham, first of all, Abraham was eager to respond to God's voice. Take a look at verse 1 again. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Right off the bat, we're told that God was about to test Abraham. I think that's Moses, the writer of Genesis. I think that's him being gracious to us readers. I think he knew that the story he is about to tell is so shocking, so disturbing, that he wanted us to know that there is a purpose behind what is happening here. God is going to test Abraham. So don't fly off the handle. Don't freak out. Don't start pointing fingers at God. We're giving a heads up. Abraham was not given a heads up. And isn't that the way it is with so many tests that come into our lives, so many difficult things that come into our lives? We're not given a heads up. Now Abraham, he was known by God and he knew God. He walked with God for some time. He actually knew God's voice when he heard it. And when he heard God's voice here, immediately he responds, here I am. I'm here. John Calvin writes, it was as if he said, whatever God is pleased to command, I'm perfectly ready to do. And I've got to wonder, after having not listened to God before, after having attempted to make God's promise come true on his own, has he come to the point? Has he come to the point where he's learned to just listen? And God's going to say something. He's just, God, okay, I'm ready. What do you have? What do you got? Abraham, I think he's reached a point of, of submission where he just says, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I'm willing to do whatever you want. He doesn't know that what God has for him here is going to be the most difficult, most excruciating thing that he can possibly imagine, but it doesn't matter. He's come to that point where he, he says, if, if God says it, I'll do it. Here I am. When I think about myself, I wonder, do I respond to God that way? Am I prepared to do whatever God has for me, no matter how excruciating it may be? Or do I dread the voice of God? Do I dread it? Kind of like I, I dreaded when I received that report card in the mail and didn't want to open that thing up. I don't know what it says in there. Do I dread it or am I willing to receive whatever God has to say because I know him and I trust him and I know that whatever he has is going to be good in the end. And Paul wrote, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, it may not seem good from my perspective. It may not feel good to me. And yet I can trust that it is is good. 
how amazing would it be if we as a church came to that point, that point of just, just wild abandon. Wild abandon. We're, we're, we're like when, when Jesus called James and John. We just jump out of the boat. They say, yes, I, I'm coming. I'll follow you. I don't mind getting wet. And we don't do it because we're crazy and not because we have a death wish, but because we know God so well that our trust in him is just absolute. And so we're just eager to respond. The way that we respond to God's voice, that gives evidence of how much we know him, how much we trust him, how much we love him. Are we eager and excited to say, yes, Lord, what do you have for me? Or are we hesitant and unsure as to whether or not it's going to be good? That's the first piece of evidence. He was eager to respond. Second piece is this. Abraham obeyed. He obeyed God's word. It's one thing to jump up and say, yes, I'm ready, Lord, let's go. It's another thing to actually follow through, isn't it? Sometimes God asks us to do things that are really hard. And many times, we don't know why. We don't know why we're going through this, this circumstance that we just, just God just plopped into our lives. It's definitely true for Abraham. Look at verse 2. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That request is insane. It's absolutely crazy, right? Why would God promise Abraham a son? He made him wait year after year after year. Finally, he's 100 years old and he gets this incredible blessing. Lord, you are so good. You are so powerful. Nothing is too marvelous for you. Nothing is impossible with you. He promised Abraham countless descendants are going to come from your child. And not only that, through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now you're ordering his death? Uh, on top of all that, why would God order Abraham to do something that he condemned Canaanite people for doing? <laughs> child sacrifice, it was reprehensible. It was a terrible thing. None of this made any sense. What's amazing is that we don't see anywhere in this passage here, look for it, I don't, I don't see it anywhere. Studied this. No point in this passage where we see Abraham questioning God. <laughs> Someone might say, well, he was just so intimidated. He feared for his life. If God said something, well, he was just so fearful, so scared of God. Well, who was he to argue with God? That can't be the reason. There's no way that can be the reason because we've seen Abraham before. We've seen him plead with God. Do you remember the threat against Sodom? Do you remember Abraham coming and saying, you're not going to destroy the righteous people with the, along with the unrighteous, are you? What if there are 50 righteous people? What if there are 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? Clearly, Abraham was not afraid to appeal to God. We don't see any appeal here, do we? No appeal. Could it be that Abraham's just come to the point of giving up on his own feelings? Giving up on his own logic, what makes sense in his mind, and just learn to trust 
in the wisdom and goodness of God. And certainly he's tried doing things his own way before, hasn't he? He's, he's tried his own way. And he's realized time and time again, my way, it's not as good as God's way. I know that if I was in Abraham's shoes, I would have been asking one very simple question. It's a question my two-year-old, I think, already knows pretty well. And that is, why? And if I didn't have enough courage to ask why, then I'd just be making excuses. I'd be putting it off, right? When we don't want to do something, we know it's coming, but we just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Maybe it'll just go away eventually. I'd be doing anything and everything to avoid doing what God asks. And yet Abraham, he doesn't do that. What is wrong with this man? Actually, what we probably should be asking is, what is right with this man? Maybe he's moved past the point of needing to know the wise, past the point of resisting because he has so much confidence in God that he knows that whatever God is going to bring, it is for his glory and it's for our good. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Man, I want to get there, don't you? I want to get there to the point where we trust God so much that we don't need to question why. We just obey. And that's exactly what Abraham did. Look at verse 3. So Abraham, this is incredible. I can't believe this is the next sentence. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac cut wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place of which God had told him. The only explanation that I can come up with for Abraham's behavior is that he loved God. Plain and simple. He loved God more than anything else. And his actions proved it. He loved God more than the plan that God had promised him. He had come to that point. He loved God more than the pride and joy of having this son. He loved God, think about this, he loved God more than his relationship with his wife. Can you imagine coming home after a trip like this and having to explain why Isaac isn't with you? And just in case we think Abraham just, just didn't even think at all, maybe he just quickly responded and then, and then, and then thought about it later, it kind of acted without thinking, check out verse 4. Verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. The journey to the land of Moriah was three days. Those days must have been excruciating. Can you imagine how many times Abraham must have counted the cost? Really? He really wants me to do this. Is, could it, is it possible? I thought this God was good. How could it be? But he loved God, so he obeyed. Our obedience to God's commands is evidence of our love for him. Jesus said it a couple times, didn't he? He said in John 14, if you love me, well, you'll keep my commandments. That's what you do. You love me, you keep my commandments. He said it again in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's not always easy to do. 
but it's strong evidence that our love for God is real. Abraham was eager to respond to God. Abraham obeyed. Thirdly, Abraham trusted in God's character. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now what's this about? Could it be that Abraham was trying to fake God out? He's going to get sneaky here, and he's got an escape route planned. He had planned escape routes in his past, remember? Ways to get around danger, to avoid situations he didn't want to find himself in. Is that what he's doing? He's trying to pull this last-minute kind of sneaky move. All right, you guys stay here. Isaac and I, we're going, to, we're going to go over here. We'll come back, but we're just going to go over here for a little while. No. Abraham knew God well enough to know that he can't escape God's plans. He can't pull anything over on God. But he also knew that when God made a promise, God's going to follow through with it. And God had promised him that Abraham was going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. And that through Isaac, all the nations would be blessed. So Abraham, because he trusted in God's character, he knew God's going to come through on that promise. Somehow, some way, he's going to make it happen. We're given an inside look into to what Abraham was thinking in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 11, verse 17, it says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, all your offspring will be named. And then it says this, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham trusted in God's character. Even though he didn't know exactly how God's going to come through on this promise that he has for him, he knew that God would keep his word no matter what. So somehow, in some way, God's going to come through, even if it meant bringing Isaac back to life. Our trust in God's character, it's something that's revealed in tough times, is it not? When we ourselves, or maybe a loved one, is found to have a, a life-threatening disease. Maybe it's cancer. I remember several years ago now when my 24-year-old sister was diagnosed with stage 4 B-cell lymphoma. And the doctors, the serious look on their faces made it clear that this was very, very serious. Our family's, our family's trust in God was tested in a big way. And we knew we weren't alone. We knew there are plenty of other people out there who, who, who wrestle with this kind, of, uh, this kind of test. There are all sorts of crazy diseases out there or different life events that test us. And that was when our faith was put to the test. Do we, in those times, do we trust that God is good? Do we, do we continue to believe that his love for us is real? And, and that what he does and what he allows to come into our lives, that that is what is best. Abraham proved his trust in God's character. He proved it as he starts making preparations. He's going through with God's orders here. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Can you imagine? Your son's there with you. 
You've got the, the wood for the fire. He doesn't know what's going on, just so that you're going to make a sacrifice. Okay, you carry the wood. And he took in his hand the fire, and he took the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. Abraham's faith here. It's just amazing. Could this be the same guy that we have studied over the past many weeks? This is the same kind of faith that God empowers us to have. As His Holy Spirit works within us. As we grow to, to know Him, to love Him more. Our trust in His character, it grows. And that's one of the reasons when, when we worship here together, we want to sing songs that don't tell us about us. They tell us about our great God, that we might have more confidence in his character. That's why we meet together to study God's word so we can know him more. That's why we spend time with the people of God so that they can remind us as we are down in the dumps, in the depths of despair, and they can come alongside us and they can pray and they can say, you need to look to Jesus. You need to look to God, brother, sister. That's why we do it. Abraham's faith is amazing. His trust in God's character. Number four, Abraham believed in God's provision. He believed it. Verse seven, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said to him, here, I, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. If ever there was any doubt in Abraham's confidence in God, this puts it to an end once and for all. God will provide for himself. You know, Jesus wanted us to know about God's amazing provision. We pointed to it a little bit last week, but in Matthew 6, he said this, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or, or what you will drink, or know about your body, what you will put on. Have you ever worried about those things? I have. Don't worry about that. He says, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds and see how God takes care of them. See how he dresses those flowers so beautifully. How much more is God going to care for you? And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't let the needs of your life consume you. Focus on knowing, loving, submitting to God's will for you and he's going to take care of you. But you know, it's not just the everyday needs that God provides for, is it? It's not just those everyday needs. He's gone way beyond that. Our translation here says, God will provide for himself a lamb. But the reality was, God would provide himself, his son, as a lamb. The passage, it looks forward to a time when Jesus, the promised one, would be that perfect sacrifice for your sin, for my sin. It's because of Jesus that I go free. My shackles fall off. 
He was my substitute. He died the death that I should have died. By his stripes, his wounds, I am healed. And yours are healed if your faith is in him. In, first John, or in John 1.29, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God will provide for himself a lamb, my son. And Jesus is that lamb. Revelation 5, 6, John says, Then I saw a lamb. This is after everything is over. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. He's talking about Jesus the lamb who was slain in our place, now in glory. Jesus is the once and for all lamb of God. In a very real and true sense, the lamb was provided by God and for God because God sent his son on a mission to satisfy his own wrath. The reality is when we sinned, the wrath of God was kindled. It was, it was, it was stirred up. And because God is perfectly just and must judge sin, he must deal with it. He can't just get over it. He can't just simmer down as time goes on. No, no, no. Sin has to be paid for. That's what a just judge does. So God provides for that need for justice, for his own anger, his wrath against sin. He provides for it himself by sending Jesus to die in our place. That's, that's, that's the amazing thing about this good news. That's why we get so worked up about this good news. Because the good news is that I should have suffered. I should have paid. I should have had justice carried out on me. But God provided a lamb in my place. That justice might be satisfied. There's a fancy word to describe that. It's called propitiation. The satisfaction of God's kindled anger against sin. Jesus took that on himself and paid for it on the cross for you and for me. Just as Abraham trusted that God would provide a lamb, God has provided for you. He's provided for me. Abraham demonstrated his love for God, as he trusted in God's provision. And our love for God, it's demonstrated as we trust in Jesus, whom God provided for us. Our trust in Jesus Christ, that sacrificial lamb, that's evidence of our love for him. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? One last piece of evidence. Abraham puts God first. Above anyone, above anything else, God had become, and this took place over time, but God clearly, in this passage, he, at this point in his life, God had become number one. Abraham loved Isaac. I mean, how, could, how could you not love this boy that you waited for for so long? He loved him. Our passage, it tells us right at the beginning, he loved him. Isaac must have been a treasure. But there was someone else in Abraham's life that was loved more. 
God came first. Verse 9. They came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built there, built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. Picture this in your minds. Laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham, this, he had to be trembling. There's no other way this could have happened reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The fact that, that Isaac goes along with this just amazes me. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old Isaac was at this point, but most scholars place him somewhere in his 20s. It's probably safe to say that Isaac could have very easily, even if he was 15, could have very easily overpowered his elderly father. 100 years old, no problem. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Why? The only reason that I can come up with is that Isaac had the same faith as his father he had incredible confidence in God as well. You see, I don't think that Abraham, this man of God, this man of faith, I don't think he kept his faith private. I think he shared it with his son. I think he was very intentional. God was the most important person in his life. He wanted to pass that down to his children, to the people that he loved. And what a challenge for parents today. Maybe the most important thing that we can pass down to our children, <laughs> not maybe, the most important thing that we can pass down to children today is not grandpa's old watch. And it's not the family fortune. It's the faith we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. In the 22 years I served in student ministry, the thing that I saw that had the greatest impact in, in, in uh, discipling young people. It wasn't the sermons that I gave, not by a long shot. And it wasn't the great events that we put on. Actually, it didn't have anything to do with me. It was the parents who were committed to pouring the love of God that they had into their children. That was it. God was first in their homes and their kids knew it. Is God first in your life? Do your children know it? They're watching you. Does your life tell them that there is no one that matters more than God to you? Or is your life communicating to them? And this goes for grandparents too. Is your life telling them that God is just an accessory to make your life better? Finishing up verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And God takes Abraham right to the edge, doesn't he? Right to the edge. And Abraham had to commit. 
It wasn't enough to just make that journey. It wasn't enough to to build up the altar. It wasn't enough to even lay Isaac down on that altar. He had the knife in his hands ready to go. Evidently, Abraham was ready to do what God had asked him to do. And that's when God says, Abraham, Abraham. And once again, Abraham simply answers, here I am. Lord, I'm ready for whatever you desire. And God says, do not lay your hand on the boy. Can you imagine the relief? Tears, for sure. Probably gasps for air. Uncontrollable sobs. This man whose faith in God, who had taken him right to the edge, and it's finally over. God didn't change his mind at the last minute. God didn't all of a sudden realize, oh, this is not a good thing that I am making this uh, man of faith do. No. It was a test. It was a test. A chance for Abraham to prove his love and devotion to God. We already saw how many times Abraham failed to trust in God. This is almost a chance for Abraham to redeem yourself here. But really, I think it's a testimony to how God had worked in this man's life and built up confidence in himself in such a tremendous way. It shows, it gives glory to God. Abraham's at a point where he's not merely a lover of the good gifts that God had given him. He loves God himself more than anything else. He says, now I know that you fear God. And then... God gives him this incredible picture of the great blessing that would one day come from him. There in the thicket, caught in the thicket, was the ram that could be sacrificed in Isaac's place, just as Jesus would one day be sacrificed in our place. Evidence of Abraham's love for God. It can be seen in his eagerness to respond to God's voice. His obedience to God's word, his trust in God's character, his belief in God's provision, even his willingness to put God first. What evidence is there of your love for God? Do we really love him? Or are there things that we have in our lives that we are gripping onto so tightly, things that we just aren't willing to give up for him. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's some type of sinful behavior. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a, 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 a drug. Maybe it's this relationship that you have with your boyfriend or girlfriend and, and you just, you just got, gotta enjoy each other to the max no matter what God says. Maybe, maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's gambling. I don't know. Maybe it's the way you use your time. And we've allowed ourselves to become so busy, so easy to get so busy these days that we don't have any time to spend with God or talk with him in prayer. We're we're too busy. We're too busy working. We're too busy working out. We're too busy seeking entertainment for ourselves. Or maybe we're too busy out there doing good. We feel so good when we do good to others. And we're so busy doing that that we haven't even time for God himself in our daily routine Maybe it's money. 
Maybe we're, we're slaves to it, can't get enough of it, need more of it, constantly worried about it. Maybe for some of us, it's just, it's just unforgiveness. Some people have hurt us, and they've hurt us deeply. We just don't want to let go of that anger. Can't let go of that bitterness. Whatever it may be, it's vitally important that we lay it before the cross of Christ this morning and say, God, help me to give this up and help me to put you first. And that may not be a one-time thing. It may be something that we do daily. And you wrestle with the same temptation to grip tightly to this every single day of your life. And each morning you say, Lord, give me the strength, give me the grace to let go. Do we love him? I think the answer for me is not as much as I should. Not as much as I want to. May the cry of our hearts be to know him more, to love him more, to love him above all, all others. And may we long for the day that we will someday see him face to face. A.W. Tozer a prayer at the end of the first chapter in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says it better, better than I ever could. Listen to this. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness. It has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray.